Thanks, Matt. By the way, if y'all don't have students or you have students and um, they haven't been able to attend FSM this year, uh, Matt Smith's been doing a great job um, resourcing FSM, making sure that happens, and a college student at Montreat, and he's got a great mustache, okay? Which is, a, which is a huge plus this day and age. It's coming back. The mustache is back, I think. Is it back or is it coming back? It's back. This is where, like, generationally, there's a huge divide in the church, right? Like, depending on uh, where you fall, uh, maybe what you think on the mustache. But uh, so in case you haven't noticed, a little different this morning, okay? So, so um, no, no instruments on stage, no, no microphones. Um, it's going to look a little different. Uh, you know, we, we are really blessed to have um, a rotation of, of uh, worship leaders, members in our church to, to lead uh, in worship through music. Uh, but today, uh, we're going we're gonna to kind of end the service with something uh, a, a bit different. So if you're new here, let me just say welcome. Um, this is not, you know, if you were coming kind of hoping for like the show up, sing a few songs, sit down. Try to stay awake while I got talks for a while. Maybe sing another song or two. Pray and go home. Um, come back next week. Okay, we'll have we'll have music again next week. But uh, this week's a bit different. Uh, if you're online, uh, just stay tuned because we're going to kind of tell you how you can uh, stay tuned in with us today. Um, how we're going to do things with some conversation after the sermon today. Okay, so um, so how this is going to kind of flow in today's service is we're going to have our our uh, sermons. We're going to be in Mark 15, continuing our, our series, Jesus According to Mark. So if you want to go ahead and find on your phone, tablet, Bible, whatever, Mark 15. Uh, we, we, uh, since we are coming in, uh, cold, you know, spring mountain, almost spring, uh, mountain morning, uh, uh, come in, sit down, no standing up and singing, getting any blood flowing. If you need a little bit of help staying awake and alert, we have coffee in the back today. So uh, feel free while I'm talking, go grab a cup of coffee. We have some hot water for, for tea as well. If you're a tea drinker, uh, go, go help yourself. You're not going to hurt my feelings at all. Um, but uh, in, in Romans chapter 1, uh, the first few verses, Paul is kind of introducing himself. Uh, he's writing to this church in Rome that he's been longing to see. Um, and he says this in, in verses 11 and 12. He says, I, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. So here, here's the spiritual gift he's talking about. He's hoping he can see him. He says he wants to impart this gift. And he says, that is, so here's the gift, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by one another's faith. And so there was something to uh, Paul wanting to come see this church. He'd heard all kinds of stuff about him. He wrote this, this long, the longest letter that we have recorded uh, to this church. A lot of it was very personal, but there was still this aspect that he was hoping for to see each other face to face because when you share each other's faith all right so when you hear about how God's working in someone in someone's life and you share how God is working in your life that is a gift that strengthens each other okay so that's what Paul's saying here so that's what we're going to do today so so like I said feel free to grab some tea grab some coffee Um, and here's what we're planning for I'm planning to do uh, a little bit of a shorter sermon than, than usual. Uh, we're going to go through this chapter, these verses in Mark, and then at the end, when I'm done, 
Uh, we're going to have like 20 to like 20-ish minutes, however much kind of time we have before it's time to go pick up all the, all the kids, um, just to do that, to share one another's faith and hopefully strengthen each other. Okay, so we're going to have some discussion questions, and I could feel and almost see every introvert in the room, your shoulders get really tense. Okay, let me say this. Let me say this too. Um, we call this space the sanctuary. Um, it's kind of the old school name for it, but we call it that because we hope, uh, and we've shared this before, but we hope that this space is a space that whatever's happening outside of these walls, right? Whatever's going on in life, whatever's happening, that when we enter into this place, that we experience what Jesus said, where he said, where two or more are gathered in my name, I'm with you. And we hope that this is actually a sanctuary where everyone can experience the hope and the inspiration that's found in Jesus. Okay, so if you're here and I just said, like, we're going to share each other's faith and strengthen one another, and you're like, Matt, I have done nothing but talk all week. And, like, my serious meter is full. Does anybody's serious meter ever get full? That happens to me by, like, Wednesday at about noon. Okay, a few days in the office, going home and, and, and tag team, you know, Anna, tag, you're out, I'm in, you know, take care of the kids. Like, it gets to a point where, like, Wednesday afternoon, like, I just kind of want to make, like, fart noises instead of, anytime anybody talks about anything serious. You know what I'm saying? Like, anybody get there? So if you're there today, let me just say, if you're there, you're like, my serious meter's full, I've had a brutal week outside of these walls, and I just need to, like, sit down. Let me just say, feel free to do that, okay? Sit down, pray, be with Jesus, get a cup of coffee, and sit in a corner, or we can, like, designate, like, a fun-only table, we were like, hey, I don't want to have any serious, like, the way my faith is going to be strengthened today is just by, like, going around the circle and telling knock-knock jokes. Like, feel free to do that. Feel free to do that. But the goal is, like Paul said, where he said that the spiritual gift to make one another strong is to be mutually encouraged by one another's faith. Okay, so, so we're going to do that at the end today. Uh, like I said, if you're new and this is super daunting, maybe just like the whole church thing is just kind of like tough for you to come anyways, let me just say, hey, feel free to slip out after the sermon. Try again next week. We'd love to have you come back. But I would encourage all of us to take some time just to, just to we'll get in just kind of groups, just right around where you are, three or four people, and just kind of talk to each other. Okay? Does that make sense? How the plan's going to go today? If you don't like it, I'm sorry, you can email me. We'll set up a coffee and we'll talk about it, okay? <laughs> That'll be each other's punishment. All right, Mark. So Mark 15, Mark 15, let me, let me pray for us and then we're going to go through the first uh, 15 verses of Mark chapter 15 today. So let me, let me pray. Jesus, um, we love you. Jesus, uh, this is your church and we are your people. And so as we are gathered here in your name, I ask that you... Make what you said true, that you are present with us. So come, be with us, make your grace, your love, your goodness known. Paul told us that, that you were given to us by God as our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification. And we pray that you're all of those things today for us as we share in one another's faith. Lord, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So, so let me read these first 15 verses of Mark chapter 15 and then we'll get into it. Very early in the morning, so this is right after the kind of local religious and community leaders had put Jesus on trial and Peter uh, uh, denies Jesus. We pick up very early in the morning. So very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. They bound Jesus, 
they led him away and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priest accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now, it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man named Barabbas was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. In verse 9, he said, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing that it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to get Pilate to release Barabbas instead. Well, what shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why, what crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and he handed him over to be crucified. So, so, so far in Mark's gospel, we, we've seen and we've heard and we've read um, a lot of Jesus' teaching. Mark's gospel is kind of the action gospel, like this happens and that happens and he said this and then they, they do this. Uh, but what's interesting is now that the tone definitely changes as we've seen uh, Mark kind of narrow in and slow down and focus in on the last week of the life of Jesus before his crucifixion and resurrection. And then he kind of narrows down and slows down even more. You know, we saw in chapter 14 kind of the, the few hours leading up to his arrest. And then we looked at his trial. And in this passage, it's, it's one of the, the most different passages. It's kind of where the tone changes the most in Mark's gospel because we don't have a teaching of Jesus. We don't have a miracle of Jesus. We don't have Jesus really teaching or doing anything. He really, in the Greek, only says uh, two words. He really just says, you said. Okay, so, so the question that I was thinking about this morning is, how, what does this story teach us, or how does this story teach us, as hearers today, how to be a disciple? Like, what does it look like whenever we don't have the words of Jesus coming to us? Like, what does it look like whenever we may feel like Jesus isn't doing anything big or miraculous in our lives right now? What does this story about Jesus in his silence, Jesus in his brevity, Jesus in his submission, what does that teach us about how to follow Jesus better? And then I thought, as I was kind of thinking through this morning, okay, since we don't really get that as much specifically, if we kind of look at it from the other side of the coin, we could ask the question, what does this story teach us not to do? And so kind of the two main uh, players, the two main characters in this story is Pilate and then the crowd. The crowd, Pilate, who has had Jesus brought to him uh, by the Sanhedrin, which is kind of the local community judges, the elders, the chief priests. You have Jesus brought by them, and then you have the crowd who's being incited and stirred up by them. And so, so just a few things to, to note here in these first five verses. Uh, the people who had just wrongfully accused Jesus, it, it says that even though they couldn't find a charge against him, they condemned him worthy of death in chapter 14. It's, it's these people here. And, and clearly what they did was they kind of changed their tune. It says that they got up early and, and after they made their plans. See, they had to kind of be strategic here because a blasphemy, what they were accusing Jesus of doing, uh, was not worthy of the death penalty in the Roman government. 
So when they came to Jesus, they brought him, and, and you see you know, Pilate with that first question, are you the king of the Jews? Uh, what they did was, we get a few more details in Luke's gospel about when they brought Jesus to Pilate. And, and if you look at those charges, they were all very politically charged. Because Pilate, as kind of the local kind of governor, magistrate, local political leader, uh, he really would only have the, the rights to condemn someone to death if it was on the grounds of like murder or, or calling themselves a king, because then it would directly, basically anything that directly challenged Caesar's rule. Okay, that's why this Barabbas guy uh, was prepared to be killed, because he had, in the insurrection, had murdered someone, presumably uh, someone in the Roman government. Okay, so, so Pilate like, wouldn't really have been that concerned with a local like, religious issue. They kind of, that's one of the ways that Rome was so brilliant in the way they spread across the, the, the near ancient world is that they would kind of let the local religious thing do their thing, but anything that would challenge their political system or government directly, they would put their thumb down on. And so they, came, they had to come tell Pilate something big enough to get his attention, and Pilate asked Jesus, it's interesting that he says, okay, so are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus just said, you said. That's all, that's all that he says. And it was through Jesus, his silent and quiet response to the loud and the questionable accusations that Jesus really showed his, his confidence and dignity. In, in other traditions and in other gospels, we see that Pilate was a little bit shook up. Like he really wasn't convinced that Jesus had done anything wrong. And so... But it says that it, here's, the, here's what we learn from Pilate, kind of, kind of a warning for us that we learn from Pilate here, is that at the end of verse 5, he, he sees the situation. And let's just like put ourselves in his shoes for a minute. Like, it's very early in the morning, okay? Very early in the morning. And he may be walking to work right when he gets to work, right when you get in the office. There is an angry crowd of people wanting to murder somebody. Okay, how many of us would be on our best in that situation. Anybody? Like, I'm caught off guard when I've only been awake for 20 minutes and a half of a cup of coffee and my toddler walks in the room. You know what I'm saying? Like, imagine Pilate, very early in the morning, first thing gets to work, doesn't even get to look at his to-do list on his desk yet that he left from the, the evening before, and there's a mob of people wanting to murder somebody. Okay. And what was Pilate's response when all this happened? The end of verse 5, it says, And Pilate was amazed. And so that kind of gives us our first clue. Like if we're wanting to be faithful followers of Jesus and, and learn the way of Jesus and to be more like him, then, then one thing that we shouldn't do, we, we, we shouldn't confuse amazement with transformation. Don't amuse amazement with transformation. Here, here's what I mean by amazement. Amazement in this sense, and, and kind of throughout the, the ministry in the, in, of Jesus and the Gospels that we see, there is constantly Jesus was saying, hey, don't be amazed by this, right? Say, hey, don't be amazed, don't be amazed. And what I mean by amazement here, uh, amazement is just like when there's something incredible happening, whether it's good or bad, just something big, a lot of energy going on, and you allow that, energy to flow through you and you even perpetuate it without changing it. So, so it's not the same thing as being amazed and like inspired to change, right? Can anybody think of a moment where they witnessed something? Maybe you saw a documentary or you saw somebody do something, you heard a story about something and it amazed you and it was kind of that marker in your life for how you kind of changed the way you did something or maybe it determined the career you were going into or what you wanted to study in school. 
I, like, like I, remember, um, I remember when I was uh, in high school uh, watching the uh, 2002 Brazil World Cup team. And it was like, that's what I want to do. I mean, I was amazed by it, you know, like, like there's good, I, I remember uh, going to uh, an NBA game when I was in middle school and seeing those guys, I was amazed, but I realized I will never be able to do that, so I quit playing basketball, you know, like it was, like, it was inspired to change, I was like, I should focus on soccer, you know what I'm saying, like even at best, I'm like a small point guard in the NBA, right, and I could not dribble, so that was some ways I knew to change, um, and we can be amazed and inspired to change in good ways, right, I mean, I mean, Maybe you can think of a time when you were in middle school or high school or a kid where you were at a worship service or you were at a summer camp or something and you had kind of one of those moments that was spiritually significant for you to where you changed into something better. You were called into something better. But what we're talking about here, what the, the Greek word for amazed used to describe Pilate's reaction to the crowd bringing Jesus was more like amazed uh, but not able to transform what you've been given. Okay, so I experienced, I did student ministry uh, for about seven years, full-time student ministry. Um, and the first church I worked at, uh, every year for four or five years in a row, we would go to a winter retreat, like, you know, like a, like a winter camp conference kind of thing. And every year we had a tradition where on the way home we would stop at CeCe's Pizza. And we would have a pizza eating contest, right? Because if the Holy Spirit doesn't get you there like 14,000 calories with like cardboard with cheese on it. We'll do it to you, you know what I'm saying? And so, uh, so we stopped, but the last year it was, we, we had an option, the conference went a little later, we had an option to stay for like this like worship thing they did, and I, and I had to announce to the students, hey guys, tomorrow, just prepare yourselves, I know we do this every year, we're not gonna be stopping, we're staying for this worship set, we're not gonna be staying, uh, we're not gonna have enough time to stop at little, uh, at CeCe's Pizza for the way home. And, and it was crickets in the room. And I thought, that went great. You know, that went great. And uh, at, at about 6.30 the next morning, I had an insurrection happening at my door. Okay? Like, I'm pretty sure Barabbas was reincarnated in one of my students. Like, knocking at the door, angry, like, see, see, see. You know, and I'm like, guys, it is January in Pigeon Forge at 6.30 in the morning. Like, what is going on? You know? And I was amazed in that moment. But you know what happened is I said, all right, fine, whatever. Whatever gets you guys to stop, like, we'll go to CeCe's Pete's on the way home. And, it, and, you know, at that point, I was a champion, but only because I did it on their terms, right? And, I mean, that's what happened, is happening to Pilate here. Pilate comes. He's been given all of this energy fueled by their pain, by their pride, by their hurt, by their personal preferences, the way that they wanted the Messiah to be, not the way that they want, not the way that the Messiah was, and what Pilate does is he's amazed, and we see he just ends up perpetuating and allowing this pain, allowing this hurt, allowing this anger and hatred eventually to lead to the murder and the death of Jesus. See, according to this account, uh, kind of similar story that we see in the Gospel of John, we learn that Pilate doesn't even really think there's a charge against Jesus, which kind of makes Pilate look even worse, right? I mean, like, he knows what's right, but he's unwilling to transform what he's being given to do the right thing. And, and that's why Jesus said, I, I, I think, uh, why Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount that our righteousness, when he's talking to the people who are following him, he says, your righteousness must surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. 
It's because the scribes and the Pharisees were, were virtuous people. They were knowledgeable. They knew the right things. But they weren't able to transform their anger, their self-righteousness, their hatred, their pride to be right. And at numerous times, it would say they would hear the teachings of Jesus or they would see the amazing things he was doing and it said they would be amazed. And almost every time Jesus says, don't be amazed by this. Why are you surprised? Almost every time. See, the, the, the pain, the hurt, the, 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 the general, you know, that kind of negative, it sounds weird to say negative energy because we live in such a postmodern spiritualist secular culture right now, but, but you get what I'm saying. When I say energy, I kind of am using it as a catch-all for, for what the crowd was bringing against Jesus here. See, whatever that is, whether it's the pain, whether it's the hatred, the pride that, that we're receiving externally, if we're not able to transform it, we're just going to end up transferring it to the people around us. See, here, Ronald Rollheiser says that crowds don't think. They act out of a blind energy. And so for us, a mark of maturity, a mark of being like Jesus is learning how to transform pain instead of transfer it. Right, because this kind of leads us to our second kind of point, our second kind of warning in the story. Um, and, and, it's, and it's important here to look at the, the irony of kind of the Jesus and Barabbas situation. Okay, so a few of the ironies that kind of jump out here in the story is that Barabbas, his name... Bar Abbas literally means son of the father. Okay? So, so here you have a man, a man that's been arrested. He's in prison. He, he's on his way to be murdered because of his rebellion against the Roman Empire and leading an uprising. He murdered someone, maybe, maybe multiple. It just says murder. We don't know. He's been put on trial. He's found guilty and condemned to die at the hands of those who he sought to harm. And then you have... Jesus, right? Jesus, his name means salvation of the Father. A few verses earlier, we see the, the, the same people that are bringing him, condemning him to die, asked him if he was the son of the blessed one, which means father. That's just another, that's just another way that they would say father in the, in the Hebrew culture. He says that he is. They couldn't find any charges against him or testimonies that match enough to convict him but they are still handing him over to their enemies for death. So here we have two men, right? The son of the father who's done everything to be worthy of death. And then you have Jesus, salvation of God, the one who admitted to being the son of the father, who just a little while earlier when Peter cut off a guy's ear, healed him. Not They couldn't find anything condemning him worthy to die. And yet here they are trying to get Jesus to die at the hands of their enemies and release the one who was doing exactly what they wanted to do. Do you see the irony here? Do you see the picture, the compare and contrast of these two people that Mark, uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is giving us? See, here's the, here's the second thing that we learned, the kind of warning about following Jesus and being, being a disciple of Jesus is don't confuse personal hopes and preferences with truth. Now, those oftentimes overlap, and that's great, but when they don't is when we have to be really careful. 
See, one of the charges against Jesus, here's another irony kind of in, the, in that story with Barabbas and, and them releasing Barabbas, but then handing Jesus over to be killed, um, is that one of the charges earlier uh, that they brought against Jesus to try to condemn him was that, that they were saying that Jesus said he would destroy the temple and then in three days rebuild it, not with human hands, okay? So they were worried the temple for them was like their pride and joy of the community. It was where they believed the intersection of heaven and earth happened. They believed that in, in the Holy of Holies, which, which is all true, that, that God's presence dwelt. And it was that place where it's kind of the, where heaven and earth met. And the new creation, God's spirit, would be brought out to his people. So they believed all that. It was also a great place. Of, that's where all the kind of trade and local commerce would happen. So it was really important to them culturally. So the idea of destroying the temple was blasphemous. I mean, it was like destroying the, the, the opportunity for God to complete his work on earth. That's what they believe. So when they ask Barabbas to be released, Barabbas uh, was a man, like I said, who committed that rebellion. We know because of, of history, Barabbas was released, and we have, based on other history and tradition, that Barabbas continued leading the uprising that eventually led, they caused such a problem that eventually Rome went to war against Jerusalem. They, they took Jerusalem under siege and destroyed the temple themselves in A.D. 70. So the, the one they were hoping would do what they didn't want to do ended up doing it because of their personal preferences. Whereas here's Jesus, the one who said that he would rebuild it. He's brutally beaten. He's whipped. He's tortured at the hands of the Romans. And where Pilate and the crowd, they transferred their pain and their hurt and their anger to the people around them on the grounds of their own interest. Like Pilate said, he perceived it was because of their own self-interest they were doing all of this. Jesus, eventually hanging on the cross, says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. See, at, at the expense of their personal hope and preference, the chief priests, the leaders, they brought Jesus to die one of the most brutal deaths someone could endure at the hands of their enemies. But, but we knew, I mean, we know in hindsight that that had to happen, that the scriptures had to be fulfilled, that Galatians 4, Paul said that at just the right time, God sent his son to be born and to die for our sins. But what's sad is that they couldn't recognize the power and the presence and the activity of God in their lives because of their personal hopes and preferences, because of their political and social and economic ideologies. They couldn't see how Jesus was right in front of them hoping to work in their lives. And what that is, ultimately, is that they so desperately wanted to be right more than they wanted God to be God. And ultimately, that all stems from idolatry, right? Here's how Tim Keller defines idolatry. He says, it's anything more important to you than God. This is what's really struck me this week. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. For the crowd here, for the leaders that we see, the religious and local leaders, they so badly wanted to see Rome fall and Jerusalem restored back to it's like Solomon era time splendor where nations are coming to see all of the money they have, all of their big buildings, all of their glory again, that they missed 
the scriptures that they knew and had memorized being fulfilled right in front of them. See, Jesus is the suffering silent service in servant in Isaiah 53. He's the Lamb of God, the atoning sacrifice for sins with his blood being poured out at the hands of the priests for his people. He was the one that was going to bridge the gap of heaven and earth. He was the one we know in hindsight that he said, in three days I'll rebuild a temple not made with hands. And we know Paul told us later that, hey, we're the temple of God. Because with Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, he has sent his spirit. Now the very presence and power of God dwells in us who believe in him. Their imagination had been so grasped by a glorious nation, a proud nation, that their hearts were absorbed with the ones being the, one, being the ones to usher in the kingdom of God. But God had other plans. And that was something just for me, just personally, like we're talking about sharing one another's faith being strengthened. This has challenged me because there's been a lot of talk. I don't know if you guys are on social media. I've heard about like the revivals that have kind of been popping up around the country, Asbury Revival. There's some stuff going on in New England right now, some really neat stuff. And, and as, a, as a pastor, like, that's, like I want that. You know what I'm saying? Like I want to see that stuff happen. And I had to check myself this week because I even thought, like, what's, is, what's absorbing my heart and imagination? Like, what if, I had to ask myself the question, what if God, like the manifest presence of God breaks out and causes revival in this area, but I'm not the one leading it? Would I be okay with that? Yeah. I mean, I mean that's the question, right? Like, is my heart and my imagination so absorbed with being the guy that I couldn't be happy if God was doing a work in another church down the road? And what about for you? I mean, you don't have to say it out loud right now. Maybe you can share in a little bit. But what about you? What's, what's the thing that's so absorbed? I just love that word picture. Absorbed your heart and your imagination that's replaced the presence and activity of God in your life. And what's the thing that, you, that, that says, if I don't have blank, I just can't be happy? It's not bad, it's not bad things necessarily. It might be good things. But what's capturing your imagination? What do you find yourself daydreaming about? Because here, this is really where we learn and where the rubber meets the road in our discipleship to Jesus right now. We've looked at some warnings how not to follow Jesus from Pilate and the crowd. We've learned how Jesus kind of does that, how Jesus kind of responds to that in the story. And now let's, let's us as, as apprentices, as disciples, as followers, believers, however you phrase it in Jesus, Ronald Rollheiser says again, he says, imitation, not amazement, is in the way into deeper discipleship. So, so let's, let's ask the question, how do we imitate Jesus? And this is where the practical kind of ki- ki- kicks in, and we're going to kind of respond here. See, in this whole story, Jesus just says two words. Jesus just says, Two words. He was fulfilling Isaiah 53, 7, where it says that he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silence, so he did not open his mouth. So one way that we imitate Jesus and we learn how to transform pain instead of transfer to the people around us is by practicing silence. See, silence is how we transform instead of transfer. And you're saying, now, now that's hard for us because we live in a, in a world where we think 
only thing, like things are only worth doing or worth learning if it, if it can be processed mentally, right? Here's how Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite authors and theologians on spiritual disciplines, he says, he says it like this, silence guards the inner heart of religious emotions. Uh, this inner heat is the life of the Holy Spirit within us. So if you, so if you think about Romans 5 where Paul says that uh, God pours his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so, so as we're receiving the love of the Father in us through the Holy Spirit, you can just kind of, trans- the inner heat is the life of the Holy Spirit in us. It's where God's love is pouring into us and we seek to transfer that love instead of our pain to other people, okay? Silence is the discipline by which the inner fire of God is tended and kept alive. Our first and foremost talk Our task is to carefully care for the inward fire so that when it's really needed, we can offer warmth and light to lost travelers. He goes on to say this, talking about silence. We've been so contaminated by our wordy world that we hold to the deception that our opinion and words are more important than our silence. Right? The crowd, they were fulfilling the proverb where it says, where words are many, sin is not lacking. That's hard for me as an extrovert and a preacher to, to, to process, right? I mean, think about what James said. James, in his letter, he said this. He said, the tongue is also a fire. He said, it's a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, and it sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. I didn't learn that verse in VBS, but here's the deal, silence, silence is where we learn that God's words are more important than our words. It's the place where we learn, like Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, not your will, not my will, but your will be done. And it's how he was able to remember that as he was being wrongfully accused, betrayed by one of his followers, denied by one of his closest that he said he was going to build the church on. And then at the hands of the people that he grew up around, going to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. We we read in Luke where he was 12 years old, he was in the temple talking and asking questions about the scriptures. Good chance those same people 18 years later are the ones condemning Jesus to die in front of Pilate. And Jesus is able to be faithful because he's silent. And he's processing what God has told him instead of what he's hearing around him. Ruth Haley Barton says it like this. In silence, our speech patterns are refined because silence fosters a self-awareness that enables us to choose more aptly the words to say. Rather than speech that issues from subconscious needs to impress, to put others in their place, to compete, to control and manipulate, or to put a good spin on things, we are able to notice our inner dynamics and make choices that are grounded in love, trust, and God-given wisdom. And so as we close today, I just want to ask you, as I was talking, maybe there is that, that idol that the Holy Spirit confronted today that sparked something in you. That thing that's absorbed your heart and your imagination to the point where, where when you catch yourself daydreaming, the things of God are nowhere near, but they're far away. 
Or maybe as I was talking about, we, we transfer the pain, we don't transform. Maybe there is something, a past hurt, something currently happening right now, something that someone has said to you, an external thing that you have been transferring to the people around you instead of allowing God to transform. First Peter, he writes, cast your cares and anxieties on God because he cares for you. And it's in those times of silent prayer before God that we can listen and hear what God has to say about those things other than us. So as we close today, here's what we're going to do. Before, before we break up into our times of conversation and talk to people, oh, we're going we're gonna to practice like a few minutes of silent prayer together. Okay? Silence is something that we can do with other people. Okay? Silence, silence is important. So, so let me just, I just want to encourage you as we respond like Jesus, maybe that, Whatever those things are that came up in your, in your heart today, that came up in your mind, that made your shoulders feel tense, that made your, you could feel your heart racing and maybe your face get a little hot, that you need to give to God so that you can transform. Let me just, I'm just going to encourage you that before we go into the time of silence, you can do it right now while I'm talking. You can out loud whisper it in your heart. Just say, God, I'm asking you to change this in me. This, is, or, um, this has absorbed my imagination this has absorbed my love so much that I can't focus on you, and I need you to take it away. And as a group as a, of, of disciples of Jesus, we're going to practice this thing together, this way of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, and maybe I'm talking today and you're hearing the reality that Jesus came and, and being totally unworthy of death, gave his life to die at the hands of his enemies, ultimately to save them and offer a way for eternal life while on earth and then forever with our heavenly father. Let me just say, if, if you are not a follower of Jesus, I'm just going to invite you during this time of silence just to think on those truths of Jesus. And, and I'm just going to ask you, what does it hurt just to pray while this time of silence, just to pray and say, Father, Heavenly Father, I need to give this to you. Maybe there's something, that pain that, that, that you need to transform that you've experienced before. See, the Son of God, Jesus, who we are worshiping and learning about, he came and he paid the price for our sin, our, and, it, and he conquered death, our ultimate enemy, and then he offers us a life where we can no longer and, and no longer have to be slaves to those natural enemies, sin and death, but we can live a life of abundance now and forever. So whatever that thing's that, that's not allowing you to go from amazement to transformation, let me just ask you to give that to God. So in about three seconds when I get done talking, we're going to go into a time of like two minutes of silence. This is going to feel like an eternity, okay? Especially for those of us, like, maybe you catch yourself. I'm, I'm literally going to start a timer so we can all hear it together. This is going to feel like an eternity, but I just ask you, if, if you get distracted and something comes up in your mind, don't feel guilty about that. That's just one more opportunity to go back to God. Whatever, whatever comes to your mind, your heart right now, you can just silently say, God, I'm giving you that. God, I'm giving you that. We're going to do two minutes of silence focusing on God, giving those things to him. I'll pray for us, and then I'll, I'll kind of lead us into that time of discussion together. So let, let's take two minutes of silence.
Jesus, thank you that in a world just surrounded and infiltrated with noise, God, we have endless access to, to, to podcasts, to music, all different kinds of headphones, noise-canceling headphones, TV, video games. We're at sports games, practice, school, work. God, we are constantly taking in words. We're constantly taking in noise. We're constantly experiencing external pain, frustrations, pride, hurt, anger. And Jesus, you have called us as your people that are transformed, that are made new by your Holy Spirit, that are given the counselor, the one who came and was sent to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment, the Holy Spirit living in us. God, God, as we take in those things on a daily basis in, in, in life, Father, I pray that as we meet with you and we're quiet before you to listen, that you speak to us. And as we cast our cares and anxieties upon you because you care for us, God, I pray you meet us in those spaces. Meet us in those, those silent moments. Meet us in those places where maybe we don't feel like you're working, that we don't hear you, that we can't see what you're doing. And God, help us to see that it's through the grave that we find new life. That it's through the silence that we hear the song of heaven praising you around your throne. Father, that it's through the, the moments of heartache that you meet us. We know that you're near to the brokenhearted. So God, for those of us in the room who maybe have been experiencing the hurt, the pain, and we don't quite know to how to transform it, meet us there. And Jesus, for those of us today that is maybe some idols, those things that have totally absorbed our heart and our imagination, as we hand those to you, Lord, we know that you are a compassionate God, full of love and mercy, who forgives sins. If, if you didn't forgive sins, God, who could stand? But with you, there is full redemption. So we thank you for that, Father. God, replace the, those idols we've put on the thrones of our lives with yourself, with your very presence. And that as we seek you in your word and by praying and, and, and listening to you, God, you speak to us. And may we go out the same mission that you had when you sent your son, that you've had since the beginning of humanity, that we go and take this good news of Jesus and that people see, man, there is something different about that person. And it's because we have you living in us, your spirit, it's the aroma of Christ, and we take that into the world around us. And that we can come back next week into this sanctuary and worship you and celebrate the ways that you have changed us into your image, Jesus. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.